and welcome to Best Laid Plans. This is your host, Sarah Hart Unger, and this is the podcast where we talk all things planning and planning adjacent. Today is a guest episode, and I had so much fun during this conversation, which I think you can kind of tell by the way it flows so nicely. My guest is none other than the wonderful Laura Tremaine, who is an author, speaker, podcaster, writer extraordinaire. And I just love the way she really thinks about so many aspects of her life so deeply and the way she's able to share it so well with others. So I really hope you enjoy this interview and I'll be back at the end. Hello, I am so excited to welcome Laura Tremaine to this podcast today. Laura is somebody I have been following in the online space for quite some time. She has hosted her own podcast. She recently wrote a book. I'm going to let her go ahead and introduce herself. Hi, hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Laura Tremaine, and I have been producing content, sharing myself and my life and my family and my opinions on the internet for a long time, like 13 years now. I started as a blogger, then I moved into podcasting. I've ha- been on three different podcasts and then I wrote a book. And so I'm sort of, you know, just uh, into talking online <laughs> these days. And she's very good at it. Laura has such a unique voice and character and honesty she brings to all the things that she does. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have her on so you all could hear is that she definitely has a lot of differences in how she plans versus how I plan, but she's an incredibly productive and creative person. So I just feel like she has lots that she'll be able to to share with us today. Laura, tell them a little bit about your, like the agent, the kind of what you do for work, which is kind of what you just said, but also like the other responsibilities that you balance with the ages of your kids. So I, it's funny that you said I have different systems because I feel like I've tried all the systems because I have two kids, they're 12 and 10 now. And it has just been, you know, as a parent, a total evolution of right when you think you've kind of got it down, like you get, you have the diapers and the feedings and stuff down and then your kids totally change what they need. So then you have to change. So I feel like I've tried all the things because I've been a work at home mom their entire lives. Also, my husband is a film and TV director. And so his work is really, it's not flexible and it's not consistent. So he might be doing a movie for five or six months where he's like completely out of the picture almost, pun intended. And, but then he'll have times in between where he is sort of hands on. And so we're constantly having to like bounce around in our family life what our rhythms look like, like what the different needs are, who's available to help, all of that. We also have a beautiful home here in Los Angeles. And then we have a beautiful summer home in South Carolina. And so those tasks of managing all of that fall to me. So it's just sort of a a lot of juggling, but like our primary struggle in the juggle is that's funny, struggle in the juggle, is <laughs> that it's like every day, week, and month is different, mostly because of our careers. And so I can't do what some families can do where they can really count on like, this is what our life is going to look like on a weekday. 
versus the weekend or whatever. We just don't have that. It really is a catch as catch can like month to month. And so it's hard to plan for the whole year. It's hard to plan even for quarters sometimes. So that's sort of why I'm constantly adapting my systems. That totally makes sense. Tons of moving parts. And that actually reminds me of a time period of my life when my husband was in fellowship training and he would have three months of like clinical duties where he would just disappear. Like I just, (laughs) and then three months of research when he could be a parent again, and then he would go and disappear again. And it was like, all the routines changing all the time. And um, so I I could see how that would present a challenge and even more so because your kids are bigger. At that time, I had a baby, but I know that with, you know, like these tweens, they themselves start to have so many things going on and supporting them is quite different than a baby whose day is going to be the same every day. So tell us, you said you've tried everything. What are some of the go-to ways that you are currently managing it all? Well, it's funny because obviously, if we were having this conversation two years ago, we would have been a completely different, like, quote unquote, normal way to talk about scheduling your life. But in the pandemic and like virtual school versus, you know, in-person school, like it is a whole thing right now where I feel like it is really hard to make consistent plans on top of our family life. And also, I should have mentioned this because I think this matters when you're talking about systems and stuff, is that I am very introverted and I am very anxious. So I have uh, lifelong anxiety. It's harder when I was a kid that I sort of have to work around. And then I have introvert needs, I guess I'll call them, because it really does affect my mental health if I'm not getting enough alone time or private time or whatever, which again has been so hard in the pandemic. So my current systems are super simple because if they were complicated, they'd be getting screwed up every five minutes. I use a paper planner and a digital planner. I like a digital calendar. I am currently just using Google Cal because it's just easiest to sync across. I have like a work calendar and a personal calendar and I don't love Google Calendar. It's not like my favorite, but for functionality, it's just, it's hard to beat like how easy it is to use on my phone and on my desktop and have all of them sync. But I also really rely almost like from an emotional standpoint on my paper planner. I've been using the Plum Paper Planner. This is like my third year, I think, with them. I've tried a lot of different paper planners. And I sit down on Sundays, almost like without fail, I sit down on Sundays and map out my week with like appointments and events and like things that we have to work around and then to-dos. So I am mostly using my calendar. That Google Calendar stuff is mostly for things, appointments, meetings, like that kind of thing, practices with my kids. And then I like to hand write out my to-dos. Like there is so much science based research and that when you handwrite it, you remember it better. If I've tried to type to-dos, I've tried all the different apps to type my to-dos. And sometimes it is quick if you have your phone to just jot something down. But I will, the minute I jot it in my phone, I've lost it forever. I forget. I don't even know. If I sit down and write it down in my paper planner, I'm more likely to remember it. And I also, this is a big one for me and might not resonate with everyone, but I track my time every day and I track my time in 30 minute increments. And I don't mean 30 minutes all day. I mean, if I sit down and I need to go through email, whatever, let's say, 
I set a timer. I'm a big timer person. I time everything. I set my timer for 30 minutes and I only do email for 30 minutes. Well, if I get when the timer goes off and I'm not done with email, I just make a little hash mark and I set it for another 30 minutes so that when I look back, I can see by my hash marks how long I spent on things. I don't do this in every single task in my day, but I do it for tasks that are going to take more than 30 minutes. So like work stuff, cleaning, like, you know, like things like that. So I can just sort of have a better realistic gauge of how much time I'm spending on something and how much time I need to plan for it the next time I do it. I am like slightly shocked. <laughs> because, well, I I don't know. I just, that was not, I did not expect you to be a time tracking person. And I think that's so interesting. Do you track your time in your personal life as well? Like do you, and is this time tracking done in your plum paper planner? Like it's on paper, you kind of can look back and tell me like, you know, today we're recording this mid-January, but you could be like on January 2nd, I did this for this many hours and I did this for this many hours. Yes. I don't track my personal life and I don't track, again, I don't track everything in my day. Like I just need to keep track of time or I will lose time. I will like spend time on something. Like I'll spend way too long on something that I didn't need to spend time on. And so it kind of just helps me keep an eye on it. Now, most of the time I just press repeat. I track, I use my phone or my Apple watch. And so I'm just using that function. I'll just press repeat, but it makes me think, okay, I've been doing this for 30 minutes. So like either I need to wrap this up. This is taking way longer than I thought, or, oh, I'm doing great. Like I got, I got this much done in 30 minutes. It, otherwise, you know, I'm not diagnosed ADD or anything like that, but I definitely have attention span issues where I will lose track of time or I will think something's only going to take me 10 minutes and it will take an hour. Like I don't have a great, on my own, I don't have a great like gauge of time. And so if I'm tracking it, it just helps me get stuff done. Otherwise, I literally went years before I started time tracking. I've been time tracking for a long time now, but I literally went years where I would be like, I don't know what I did today. Like I would get to the end of the day and be like, I mean, I did stuff, the kitchen got clean and whatever, but like, I didn't felt like feel like I had really anything to show for any, I just, I needed to track it. And when I started writing my book, it was really helpful because I wrote most of my book in two hour increments. So four sets of 30 minutes. And then I felt like I did it. I would do those two hours a day and then be like, okay, I did it. Now I can like do whatever else, you know, the rest of the day doesn't even matter because I did my four sessions of 30 minutes. Am I so nerdy talking about it? I love it. No, I, so you know that. I co-host another podcast with Laura Vanderkam, who has been mm -hmm. literally tracking her life in 30-minute increments for about six years now. I'm trying to think. I know it was like around when her son, who is now six, she was like pregnant with him. So it's been about six years. And But her personality is so like, well, actually, she argues. She's like, actually, people think I'm type A, but I'm not. I'm a secret type B or C. But but she comes off as more type A, whereas you come off as so much more of like you're more quintessential creative to me. And so I'm just so interested that both of you have found such value in that, although I can absolutely see why. I mean, in fact, it inspires me to like make better use of the timer, especially when I'm doing things which sometimes you blow out of proportion the amount of time they spend. But if you mm -hmm. just be like, I'm committing to 30 minutes of doing this, you might find that actually you can do it in 30 minutes. It's not like the four hour project that you had in your head. But 
I just think that's so cool. I did not realize that about you. And I guess it's like testament to the fact that time tracking can work for all different types of personalities. It really does. I will also say, I don't know what Laura Vanderkam's story is. She started this when she was pregnant. But you know, when I started time tracking, it's funny that you mentioned that, is when I was breastfeeding, actually. So I had a hard time breastfeeding. And so I really like had to set a timer and do 10 minutes each side or whatever. You know, I really like was working with a, you know, consultant and everything. And just for all kinds of reasons, I had to time myself when I was breastfeeding. And what I would do, because it was painful for me and I was having the issues and to help myself relax, as I would read, like I would read a book while I had a baby on my body and I was timing those things. And so I would, I think I remember I was doing 10 minutes each side, let's say. And so I would read for 20 minutes and that helped me relax. It helped distract me. And I realized how much I was actually reading. You can get quite a bit read in 20 minutes. And my daughter's 12 now. And so I started being a passionate advocate for the 20-minute reading timer because I feel like anybody can read for 20 minutes, which is my work stuff I do in 30 minutes. But for whatever reason, I think 20 minutes is the perfect amount of time for a reading sprint, if you will. And I think that that is the first thing that made me start to realize the power of a timer. Because I'm not type A. Like, I'm not like... I don't set the timer and then run around like a, you know, like absolutely, I'm not militant about it. Do you know what I mean? It's more, it's like a mental thing, emotional thing. I love that. And I want to hear more about family management stuff. But since you mentioned books and reading, we're going to pivot to that for a minute. So we're just going to take a quick break and be right back. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Jenny Kane. I love Jenny Kane and I hope you love shopping there to support the show. When you do, visit JennyKane.com and use code PLANS for 15% off your first order. We are now well into spring, and there's no better time to shop for beautiful cotton sweaters that can take us right into the next season. And definitely take a look at their dresses. They have so many pretty ones. I'm obsessed with the day dress. It's so classic and versatile. Plus, everything in their collection is designed so intentionally that you can style pieces together without a second thought. All of their sweaters and tops pair with jeans, work pants, and more, and can be styled to fit practically any occasion. Find your new spring uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code PLANS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code PLANS. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Factor. Factor is sponsoring this episode with an awesome discount code PLANS50 to give you 50% off your first month and 20% off the next. Trying out our sponsors helps keep the show going, and I think this is a wonderful time to give it a try, given that it's always a busy season. Factor offers no prep and no mess meals that are tailored to your wellness goals. They offer multiple options from protein plus to plant-based to keto and many more. No matter what your health goals are, you can keep kitchen time to a minimum while enjoying healthy and delicious meals with premium ingredients with Factor. You can get started feeling great and fueling well now by giving them a try. Head to factormeals.com slash plans50 and use code plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code plans50, P-L-A-N-S 50 at factormeals.com slash plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we are back. So one thing that I always love hearing Laura talk about is her reading life. She is a passionate reader. She reads all different types of things. She has strong opinions on her books, and you should definitely listen to some of her past podcast catalog to hear all of her reading episodes because I, I find them wonderful. And I'm also a reader, so although different tastes. I still have to try Stephen King, Laura. Like, I have to just for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, can you tell our listeners, how do you, other than blocking off 20 minute increments to read, what are things you do to like, do you do anything specific to organize your reading life or to be read list or track or how do you handle that? So I do track my reading. Uh, like I have really kind of specific ways that I organize my reading life. And I feel like when I say it out loud, it sounds more structured than it is, but I'm a mood reader. So I don't track like, you don't have a reading plan. I've tried to have a reading plan. Like I'm going to read X, Y, and Z this month or whatever. I cannot do that. I'm a mood reader primarily. But I do have some loose rules to just help me read what I want to get read eventually. So like I'm so passionate about reading, but like anything else, like all the things we're talking about, you can get to the end of the month or get to the end of the year and be like, you know, I didn't, I read only fluff this year. Like I didn't read anything of substance. I didn't read anything that educated me or whatever. And I, that's not how I want it to be. I want it to be a balance of like things that are just fun and I enjoy. Fluff is great. But I also like their books that I really think are important to read or that I want to educate myself on or whatever. So I read nonfiction every morning, every morning. In fact, if I have a meeting or, or for some reason can't read in the morning, my whole day is off. <laughs> It's like one of the most important things I do is I read nonfiction in the morning. I set my reading timer for 20 minutes. If I have time, I often go past the 20 minute mark in the morning, but I do at least 20 minutes reading nonfiction. Now I, but that's such a broad term nonfiction because you can read like productivity books, self-help, history. I mean, you know, whatever. I tend to in the morning read some sort of like, I don't like the word inspirational, but like some sort of like set the tone for the day kind of thing. So that might be self-help. It might be a business book sometimes or something like that. That really helps me read nonfiction in the morning. And then in the afternoon and or evening, I will read a novel. So I always have a nonfiction and a fiction going at the same time. Sometimes there's other things thrown in there that don't fit cleanly in either one of those categories, like memoir, I sort of treat memoir as a novel. So that's like afternoon reading for me. And it's funny because I organize that in my mind of like, is this a morning read or is this an evening read? And yeah, so that's how I do that. And then I track it. I do use Goodreads, but I hate it. So I use it because because I talk a lot about books and reading on social media and on my podcast. I use Goodreads because like a lot of times the audience wants to know what I'm reading, but I I do not rely on Goodreads as my actual official list because I find it to be an incredibly clunky app and not great. 
But I just use Evernote, which is my primary app for all the things, lists. If I need to jot down like, oh, this would make a good Instagram caption or whatever, you know, anything that I need to jot jot down. I have I have all kinds of notebooks in my Evernote app. I love Evernote so much, so much better than the native notes app if people are stuck on that. And I have a folder that's a books folder and I keep a running list of what I read in a year. So it's, I keep them by year and all I write, and I can send you a screenshot of it. I just posted for my Patreon, a screenshot of how I do this because people were asking, not because I'm random, but I just do the star rating. So what I gave it and then the title, I don't put any notes. I don't put any, I just want to see what, and I do it by month by year. So the whole note is a year, but I break it up into when I read it. And that just helps me when I go back at the end of the year and want to look at what my five-star reads were or go back and see when I read something. It's not meant to be like a comprehensive review. It's just a comprehensive what I read. That's also the only place because it's a private note and not like Goodreads. It's the only place where I would put like a two-star read or like sometimes I have to read stuff for work or whatever that I don't want people to know I'm reading necessarily um, or I don't want to rate it publicly, but I do log it for myself so that I can see. And so that's how I organize and track my reading. And then I have a million other ways. Like then I have a shelf of my favorites of the year that I keep. And then I have like, I organize all of my shelves by like favorites of all time. Like I have a very, I feel like people listening to this are going to come away from this conversation thinking I'm way more organized than I am. Maybe you are more organized than you think you are. Maybe. I don't think of myself as super organized, but as I'm saying these things out loud, I'm like, I sound a little crazy. Well, you're organized about your passions and books are definitely one of your passions. Yes. I would say actually that's a good way to put it because I'm not organized. My whole house, I'm not a type A organizer like in my whole house or you know with my family or whatever. I'm organized about a few specific things. My books, my time. I do think I organize my time well. And my car. I care a lot about my car organization. Those are my three things. I have one more book question, but then I want to hear about the car. My book question is, where does your like, so you're a mood reader, but do you have like a pool of like, I kind of want to read eventually maybe this year. And where does that live? Well, I do have a to read stack, like books I haven't read yet. Those are kept separately. And then when you're like in the mood, you just grab the right one. Yeah, and I I also read on Kindle a lot, which is harder actually to organize because there's you can organize on Kindle, but it's not great. Uh, you just have a library of books. But for my for paper books or hardback books that I have, I do have a physical stack. I keep them separate. I have a little. We just moved houses in the past year, so I'm sort of still figuring out how we're going to live here. But I do have like a reading nook that has built in shelves. And so I have a whole shelf that's just my to read shelf. And so I, and it's right where I sit and read all the time. So I always am constantly scanning that set of books. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Well, I still want to hear family stuff, but tell me about the car. (laughs) Well, I just care about 
a clean car. And it's funny because everyone has their spaces. Like I don't, you know, it's sort of like a, a messy kitchen does not drive me bonkers like it would some people or whatever. Like it's a, it's only certain places. And you always wonder if sometimes our reaction when we're adults or when we have our own homes are in reaction to our childhood. And I don't think my parents would mind me saying this, but we did not have clean cars when I was growing up. My mom, especially like just didn't care about a clean car. So I felt like our car was messy in like a family way, like just stuff, you know, kids stuff and whatever. And when I was a kid, for some reason, that drove me nuts. It was like actually a real, I don't want to overstate this because it wasn't like deep, but like a little bit of one of the anxiety things that I had of just like, I hated being in a messy car. And I still to this day, I don't know, just the car. Again, I'm not my bedroom's kind of messy, my kitchen's messy, whatever. But when I, maybe because it's an enclosed space, I don't know. When I get into the car, I'm like, oh God, if there's mess, I get grumpy. I get it. That's so interesting. I think, I think sometimes we don't take enough time to like think about which spaces we care about more than others. Because I also am not like a super, like I like things clear, but there are a lot of areas I don't care that much about. I care more about like how my planner page looks than probably my car. Although it does, my car will get to a certain point where I just want to throw everything out of it because my kids are at that age where they just like wreck it. Like if it wasn't for them, it would be great, but there's them. So <laughs> anyway, that's just so interesting and that you kind of have pinpointed that as a pain point. And it's it's funny, like it doesn't take that much effort to clear out your car on a regular, do you have some sort of ritual? Like every week you just go in and like gut it or no, you just keep it clean. <laughs> I don't have a ritual around it and I do have kids and I don't have rules around like we eat in the car. Like we live, I live in Los Angeles. We're in our car all the time. I mean, this is a car culture. And so I'm not super strict about it, but I care about it. And I also think like some people, you know, having a messy kitchen, like it drives them nuts if there's like, like food is gross to some people, like is uber, uber gross to some people. You know, it's just like people's different triggers or whatever. For me, it's the car. Like if the car, it's like, you know how they say, um, if you have a messy space, you have a messy mind or whatever. I don't find that to be across the board true, except in my car. If my car is messy, I probably am not doing great. That is, but that's good. You've figured that out. You have a trigger, you have a pinpoint, and it's one that's fairly finite. Like it's not like you have to clean out a garage to make yourself feel better. Okay. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted you to talk about is like family systems. So your kids are older and I'm already struggling. Like I definitely feel like I'm at a crossroad. My kids are four, almost eight and almost 10. And definitely, you know, during the pan, like the big lockdown phases of the pandemic, the activities were fairly minimal. But now, I mean, even with Omicron, my kids have a lot of outdoor activities, which, you know, are pretty much more doable. And in Florida, it's like our good weather season. And so it seems like we're actually exploding in terms of the things that we're doing. And the kids are also wanting more buy-in to the things that we're doing as a family, whereas before we were sort of planning for them. So what do you have family meetings? Do you have a big calendar where you lay it all out? Like, what are your strategies for kind of keeping everyone on the same page, especially with the added challenges of your husband being kind of like very unpredictable in terms of what his schedule will be? Well, I do wish people talked about this more because when I had mom friends who were ahead of me on the mom road who told me that the big kid tween years were harder than the baby years, let's say. First of all, I could not even conceive of that. But secondly, I thought that they were saying like, because teens are sassy or teens are hot. Like I I misunderstood what was actually 
hard, logistically hard about these years because my kids were pulled in all directions. So they have activities, they have friends, and they're obviously not old enough to get themselves to any kind of social event. You know what I mean? I'm still driving them everywhere. And that is challenging because although I've always had help with my kids and I've always been very open with that, we had an a nanny since the kids were born, she doesn't drive them anywhere. So I, she helps at the house and, and does a lot of things for our family. That's amazing. But I do all the driving carpool stuff. I, I mean, I choose that. And that is one of the reasons that I have changed up my work life in 2022. Actually, I just recently closed my podcast and there was a number of reasons why I chose to do that. But one of them was because of this, exactly what we're talking about, like family management is a total like jigsaw puzzle as they get older. I tried to limit it in that I've said, you can each have one out of school activity. You can't have more than one. Like I, you just can't, like we just can't manage it. I thought that was being really reasonable, but it turns out like my daughter's who's 12, her one out-of-school activity is club volleyball that practices three times a week and has, and so I'm like, oh my God. So even though she just has one, it's still like literally three times a week. My son has piano out of school. And then they also choose to do some things in school that end up taking, you know, other time, musical practices and art and things like that. So it really is almost something every single weekday that is a lot. It doesn't give me a full, it doesn't, if I'm driving all that, it doesn't give me 40 hours a work week. Like I don't have that time anymore if I'm going to do all that driving. So I sit down, like I said, on Sunday and look at everything with the one activity that takes up the most time, club volleyball, we carpool with another family. And I have to tell you that that will change your whole life. I had not never done any carpooling with another family until the last year. And that has made an enormous difference because if I was trying to do it all myself, I mean, it is like literally a part-time job. We also chose for my son's piano teacher, like we chose something that was close to us versus, you know, maybe a more prestigious program, let's say in another part of the city. We just had to prioritize proximity over anything else because otherwise I was like, this is just too hard. We'll just be in the car all the time. And those are sometimes hard choices, like depending on what your kids' interests are or whatever, but that's what we did. I mean, my husband and I really, we did have a meeting where we said we have to prioritize proximity. And that's a Los Angeles thing also because of traffic and like all of those different factors. Now, I do have my husband when he's not on a project, he can, like, we can share that burden. But most of the time, that's like my role in our family. That's one of our roles, my roles. And so I don't have a great system. I just do it. I just drive it. I pick them up. I drive them. I mean, we do like have some things that, again, like choosing proximity where we chose ease over something else. So for example, our school that's not that far away does offer a bus. And so I have my kids ride the bus home, which that ends up saving me, you know, a half hour to 45 minutes a day from not going to sit in the carpool line and whatever. But my kids are in private school, so we pay for that. So, you know, you're always 
making these choices and you're paying for it one way or the other. We're either paying cash money for the bus or we're paying for my time to sit in the carpool line. And those are not always like easy decisions, but we sort of ended up choosing the ease. We ended up choosing like, let's pay for the bus because otherwise I, you know, I, I would rather pay for that than with my time in this particular season. So it's, it's all like, it's choices like that, but it's, I don't have like a, here's how to handle family management. <laughs> Are your kids old enough that they can share a Google Calendar with you? So is that how they, like, how does everyone know what's going on? <laughs> That's my one question. Well, we have a family calendar, like a paper calendar that lives in the kitchen. I have one kid who needs to know the plan at all times. He want, He's like me. He wants to know the plan. And then I have one kid who's just like, if I told her volleyball was tomorrow instead of today, she'd be like, okay. I mean, she just rolls with it. Like I have one kid that's easy and does not care. She just needs to be told what to do and she'll do it. One kid that needs to know the plan a month out. You know, so like when you're talking about different kid personalities, and I get that. My kid that needs to know the plan, that's how I was too. It makes him feel safer. He doesn't want something surprising to be sprung on him at the last minute and I don't blame him. And so we do talk through like family, things like that. And then we also build in downtime. This is actually an important part of our family life is we build in downtime every single weekend because two of us are introverts and that just really matters to us. And then when we go on vacation, which now it's been a couple of years because COVID, but a really important part of our vacation time or any kind of trip, even if it's not strictly vacation, but any kind of trip, I build in as much as humanly possible. We need to be done with whatever the activity is or the visit or whatever by like 4 p.m. We have to be back in our hotel room or wherever we're staying. And we need to have about two hours between the activity and dinner. We need to have some downtime. Everybody, we need to shower or nap or read a book or just I cannot go on a trip and just be like, go, 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 and go from an all-day activity to dinner and get back to the hotel at nine o'clock at night. And I mean, we'll just, I I will fall apart, let alone the children. I am the same way, even to the extent where I'm like, I don't understand that. Well, to be fair, I live in Florida. So like going to Disney is not like, and yes, we have not been there for a while (laughs) for obvious reasons, but like Going is not as big a deal because we can go fairly easily. But like, I don't understand the families that like start at 8 a.m. and end at midnight. Like that does not sound any, like I am like you. I'm like one activity a day, rest time every single day. And it has to be planned. Like you actually do have to think of it. It doesn't just happen on its own. Which brings me to my last question, which is you're a creative person, but you do definitely sounds like you do a fair share of planning. How do you think of that balance or how have you conceived of that balance between like too rigid and then spontaneity? Like where, where does that sweet spot land with you? Is it something that you think about? Cause sometimes people who listen to this podcast are kind of like, I love the idea, but that takes away all of like life's spark. And I don't really feel that way, but I'm always interested in, I don't know, other thoughts about that, that idea. I don't feel that way either because I don't like spontaneity. (laughs) But I mean, that makes me feel anxious. Like when there's something spontaneous, I'm like, I need a minute. I need to think about it. But my husband is very spontaneous and he does not mind accommodating 
that I'm not like he's not always pushing me to, you know, be uncomfortable in that way or whatever. But for him, he will love to be like, let's go to the zoo today. And I'll be like, the zoo. Okay, hold on. I need to think about it. (laughs) You know, but he is very spontaneous. And I, you know, I don't know, is this a cheat answer that I just married someone who is spontaneous and then I can just let them be spontaneous when it's okay. And then I can be a planner the rest of the time. I mean, also people define spontaneous differently. Like you can define spontaneous as like, oh, we're having a lazy Saturday. Let's go to Starbucks and like get a treat. And that's spontaneous versus like, let's go to the zoo is sort of a bigger ask. So, I mean, everyone is sort of thinking about that differently. And I can do spontaneity if I'm in a pretty good place. If I'm like relaxed, if I've had enough rest, if I'm feeling good, you know, we can reroute and make a stop for whatever treats or something. If I am very enormously stressed, if I'm not rested, if there's a pandemic happening, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, If there's a lot going on, I really need us to stick to the plan because otherwise I will spin out. And the whole thing of like, I set the tone for our family in a lot of ways. I think the mom often shoulders the burden of setting the tone for the family. My presence, like I am contagious to everyone. So if I'm grumpy, my kids will will get grumpy too. If I'm excited and happy and relaxed, the whole family is. I mean, for the most part, And even if we don't want that kind of responsibility, that's just sort of the way it is as the mom. And so I just try to stay aware of that. If I'm starting to spin out, I have to rein us all in or the ship's going to sink, everybody. The ship is going to sink. But if I'm feeling good, I do like there to be like a space for, oh, sure, let's do this. And I also, you know, I do try to practice a lot of yes with my kids, which is easy because they're not outlandish in their asks for, you know, can we, can we do this today? Can we stop and do this? Or, you know, whatever. They're not like constantly making it hard on us as parents at all. I I have kids that like are in alignment with our family sort of vibe. So when they do ask, but can we do this or that? I try to lean towards yes, instead of no. And that is spontaneity for me, even though like for my husband, that's just like how to be. That's just like his natural way. But for me, I try to be like, okay, I'm going to like stay in a posture of yes, unless I need to make it a no. I like it. It's spontaneity with boundaries. And as you were speaking, I was also thinking about how like the younger your kids are, the more kind of rigid their physical needs are. And that can make it hard to be spontaneous because if you have like a screaming two-year-old, like that also sets the mood. Like then it's not fun for anyone, right? Because if they didn't get their proper rest or feeding or snack or whatever. But if everyone's kind of in a good place, it does lead to more room. And I, I do wonder if that's like, I've been in that survival mode with fairly young kids for a long time now. And I'm just starting to come out of it a little bit since my youngest is four. So that's interesting to see how things evolve. Awesome. Well, I love it. it's also fun to see, you'll see, I'm sure with your 10-year-old, you start to see, they start to learn their own boundaries. So like when they're little and they don't have any concept of what it's going to be like if they miss their nap, like, you know what I mean? And you know that, that the rest of the day and the next day, you're, we're all going to pay for you missing your nap. But the kid doesn't know that. The older they get, they do know that. I mean, at 12 and 10, my kids 
know sort of their own limits. They know their own boundaries. They know what they're giving up if they stay up super late for movie night, which is fun sometimes, but they realize that like there's a trade-off there. And maybe because that's the way I that's the way I talk about things, but I think they do. I mean, you just start to mature and realize these things for yourself. And that has been that's an amazing part of parenting to start to see them have their own limits because you're not I'm not overseeing every minute of their day or whatever. So they're just having to make their own choices and to see if they do it well or if they don't do it well and learn from it. That's like a a rewarding part of this journey. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, this has been such a pleasure talking about planning techniques and planning your reading and spaces and parenting and all the good stuff. So tell our listeners where they can find more of you. You can feel free to spill about some future podcast project because I'm already excited about it, whatever it's going to be. I I don't have any inside information for the audience's sake, but I'm just hoping she comes back soon. (laughs) Well, I don't have any inside information either. I just chose very recently to close my show, 10 Things to Tell You, which I did for three years and 150 episodes. If you want to, you know, go binge the back list of those because I'm writing my second book. I'm writing my second book in 2022 that will release in 2023. And I do hope to be back behind the mic on a regular basis. I am on Instagram all the time, though. I host reading parties there. Reading parties are like these 20-minute with my 20-minute reading timer where we all just read together silently. It's very, it's more fun than it sounds, I promise. And my Instagram handle is lara.tremaine. And I also host a book club. It is a Patreon, so it's a membership thing. But if you are looking for an online book club, it's a really great community. All of that can be found at lauratremaine.com. That's sort of where I'm hanging these days. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I'll put those links in the show notes. And maybe after your book comes out, you'll come back on again. I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Awesome. Well, that was so much fun having Laura Tremaine have this discussion with me. I would love to have her on again someday, to be completely honest. Just so much to share. I know this conversation was a little bit different than our usual. And if you do not have kids or are not managing family responsibilities, I hope it was still interesting to see how she's able to get all of her parts working together and think through so many of the different family routines and challenges, because they may be applicable to even those with different life situations. So I hope this was fun to listen to. I'm going to be bringing more guests in the future. I hope to bring both speakers and then just regular old planning people, people who love to plan, people who might have an expertise or just an interest in a specific line of planners or style of planning. So if you have suggestions or if you yourself feel you'd make an amazing guest, just drop me an email. You can find my email and contact information on my blog, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com. Of course, that's also where all of the show notes live and you can find my contact there. You can subscribe to my newsletter and you can see occasional glimpses of my planner pages themselves. So hopefully some of you will stop by. Well, this was lots of fun and I will be back next week with a little bit of a review and maybe a cameo from a family member. We will see. Have a wonderful week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.